Hey friends, thanks for pressing play in this episode. Recently I was joined by Tom Leahy in a level 2 training that I was leading and it was a real pleasure and so I was able to find a time where I was able to pull him aside, sit down and have a face to face and this is the result. Thank you for listening, my name is Phil, this is Vertical Playpen and let's begin the episode. Okay, so I have had an incredibly fun week. So I just put that out to people listening that I um, have had in a level two training. I've been joined by the wonderful Tom Leahy, who has come for continuous education. And I was the fortunate trainer that got to be involved in that workshop. So the first question I'd love to ask, and I ask this of everyone who, who I speak to, is at some point there was an origin. We can go back to wherever point you want at which point you decided you wanted to make adventure education your career pathway. What was that for you? I was working in a, a mental uh, psychiatric facility as an aide and seeing people come and go and really disappointed that people didn't, they just struggled. They didn't seem to, to get better. And my job was just simply you know, watching them and taking them to, to meetings with the doctors and stuff. And I just, I figured there had to be a better way to get to people before they got that far. I'd also worked at um, a boarding school with kids with learning disabilities and emotional problems. And I had taken them on a, a backpacking trip. We planned for weeks and we took them out and it rained and everything got wet and it was horrible. But I just realized that I wanted to, I thought that it would be better to, for mental health to get to people before they got to that point and the outdoors seemed to be the place that that you know consequences are natural they happen immediately and it's people just just wake up when they're outside so that, that was probably probably the moment i got out of college in 77 with a degree in anthropology which actually turned out to be helpful and then i worked with the learning disabled kids for about a year um and then the the mental health the psych adult psych hospital and then i went to an outward bound directed program for the state of Massachusetts called Homeward Bound. And that was 28 days with uh, adjudicated youth and very hard job. And I didn't really like that either because it wasn't, it wasn't educative. It was more, you have to do this mm-hmm. or you go back to jail. So I didn't really like that approach so much. So, so that was 79. What was this, what was the state of adventure education, challenge course, ropes courses at that time? I would, I would say almost unknown. The first challenge course in the U.S. was in Marble, Colorado, Outward Bound, 1962. And there's still some vestiges of that course there. By 79, I heard, you know, it, it was Outward Bound, you know, obviously it was what kind of got this going. And with, you know, Carl Ronke, 1971, when he came out of Outward Bound to, the, you know, we all have to have our hat off to Carl Ronke. Carl was the, the soul that started this, you know, really got this going for all of us. And we stand on his shoulders for sure. Um, but I think that I saw low elements in 1979, which, you know, were <laughs> probably dangerous. And then in 1981, I went to Project Adventure for my first workshop. And I had no idea that this stuff existed. None. They just said, you're going to a workshop. Yeah. And I got there and it was just, I couldn't believe it. It was so much fun. So you mentioned Carl. Who else for you was that person that kind of opened your eyes to this stuff? 
certainly Carl and, and tribute to Challenge by Choice, which I believe that no one really understands how it works. Now, how do we turn that into a curriculum? Jim Scholl, Paul Radcliffe are two people from the, the PA days that I think are um, Mark Murray, very deep thinkers, very on the therapeutic end, but just connective and kind and stuff. Jim Grout of High Five, who I believe is probably the most wonderfully kind, knowledgeable, inclusive person who makes you think and just welcomes everyone. There's there's no ego and nothing but heart and love. And I attribute a lot of my, you know, he's, he's a, a great role model. Uh, a guy named Bill Proudman who runs a company now called Inclusivity. Oh, I, I think it might be a different name now, but he's, you know, he's a, a white, straight, cisgendered male advocating to include everybody else. And, and Bill's been doing that since the 90s. And so I'm very, very, he's a role model in terms of make a safe place for everyone. Probably one or two more. Uh, a woman named Cindy Walker, who had a, a challenge course program in Texas, who came in with a therapeutic background and really asked a lot of hard questions. And a woman named Camille Bunting uh, from Texas A&M, who really raised the, the question about the physiological stress of what we do on people whose hearts aren't in great shape and stuff. So those are some, I, I could keep going for another 10 minutes. There's a whole nother list, but those people have probably come to mind really quickly first. What defines a Tom Leahy challenge course experience, a.k.a. what do you hold true in your programming that you think is a vital component to the work we do? What is essential to a successful challenge course program? Meet them coming in the door. The minute they walk in the room, I'm a Myers-Briggs introvert, and I have to really change my style to, to do this work greatly. But what I've learned is that the minute they walk in the door, if I meet them kindly and gently in a relaxed way and welcome them, try to find the name. I can't remember the name of the woman, but she said, if you do not actively include each person, you are, in fact, actively excluding some person. And so I think that's really, really is the heart of it. It's creating safe places for people. And, you know, from my, you know, older white cisgendered male, I, you know, I, I have all this privilege that I'm just starting to really understand. And I think that our place in the challenge course world is a place that we need to have everyone, but certainly everybody who looks like me, we need to advocate that the circle is inclusive, that every voice is important. Um, that we need to structure our program so that each person can be heard and give them the right support, but never force anyone out of their comfort zone. You, you mentioned the introvert, did not know that, and I am also an introvert. And I, and I always highlight to people that an introvert isn't a socially a reclusive person it's about energy how much energy does it take how much energy do you get from the situation and for me socially ex social experiences exhaust me but i enjoy them but i have to be cautious as an introvert because i've i've tried to analyze this myself about the industry itself maybe team building team development is really a very extroverted experience for most people how as an introvert have you had to adapt the way that you facilitate or have you been aware of the ways you've facilitated to try to include those people who are like yourself and I when it comes to introversion? I guess you'd say I have thought about that a lot. I Well, I, I basically look at what I need and I guess I try to make a space for others and that is uh, one, don't make me do anything embarrassing, stupid, foolish, 
where I'm looking like a fool, you lose me really quickly. And I think the, you know, if you could use the word the extroverts, think that that's really fun and get people goofy. But what I believe is we're actually driving people out of their comfort zone. What I believe is the most important thing is that we make the assumption that people are in their comfort zone and they need to leave the comfort zone to grow. And I agree with that. But when we assume that they're in their comfort zone all the time with whatever we do, what we don't realize is that they come walk into the workshop already feeling at risk. And then they meet the people and they feel at risk. And then they see a person of color might see all these white faces and they might feel at risk. And someone in the LBGTQ community might come in and see all these people and they might feel at risk. So the fact of the matter is that the job one for a facilitator is to help people to build a comfort zone. It's not to drive them out of it. It's not to force them out of it. We're not trying to push them up anything. The first thing is, is you're in this new strange environment. My job as a facilitator is to help you establish the safety. And my job as a facilitator is to set the boundaries so that people realize we're gonna treat this differently. And when everybody feels safe, we can take a step forward. And when people feel safe, they're more likely to choose to leave their comfort zone. If they don't feel safe, they try to stay in it. And they're not there, and so it gets worse and worse and worse. Every year, we run into the issue that too many of our customers need to replace equipment each spring because of rodent damage that costs thousands of dollars over the years. So High Five Adventure has partnered with Rome Adventure CO to provide you with a dependable equipment storage solution that will protect your investment. This heavy-duty case is ideal for storing your Challenge Course equipment. What I have done is thrown a link into the description of this episode where you can find out more about this case. If you have any questions, you can always reach out to me by going to at Vertical Playpen on Instagram and you can direct message me there. Or you can email me podcast at highfiveadventure.org. Thanks for checking it out and let's get back to the episode. We have a lot of listeners who are newer practitioners, mm-hmm. newer facilitators. And I often wonder, like, there's so much for a, a newer facilitator to learn. This, it just this, this overwhelming sense that, that there's all these pieces that they have, all the pieces of the puzzle they have to put together. But when it comes to, like, creating a psychologically safe learning environment, I think this is paramount to people's facilitation, that it's not an addition to once you've mastered the other parts that it's an essential building block to your facilitation style. What do you teach to facilitators? What actionable steps can a facilitator who is new do to help create that environment that you suggested that allows people to feel empowered to be able to take a step? Meet them at the door. Make it very clear in your, your briefing that, that defining that this, this circle completes the obligation of participation. If you're in this circle, if you're paying attention, if you're responding as you need to, if you're making good choice, appropriate choices, if you're supporting other people, and if you're able to participate physically in the activities, those are all things we could define as participation. What I would say to all facilitators 
is we really have to really re-examine how we look at participation as just as a foundation um, because it's in our language you know if you look at a climbing wall you'll see that they put a bell or a horn or the book to sign they put it at the very top of the climb and what that means is the only people who get the validation are the people who climb and the people who climb by definition are going to have higher self-efficacy in terms of both physical challenge in terms of taking risk and the people who have lower self-efficacy aren't going to want to do that so the people who need us the most we've set the bar to the point where they can't reach it and then the whole experience is miseducative which is the other word is a misadventure which comes from 14th century france i found out so i think that above all you know the skills are important and playing games and climbing stuff's important but the most important thing is to help people to that foundation for you know for new people is build the comfort zone make sure people in fact experience inclusion they may not feel it yet but you need to do everything and i think the other piece is give every voice a chance to be heard without somebody running over it um, a space i do a thing called a, a sounding where i'll put out a question everyone gets to answer it in whatever order they want there's no going around the circle in order and they can say as little as i have nothing to share right now or answer the question but during the sounding no one can interrupt them no one can answer them no one can respond to them no one can contradict them it can't turn it into a discussion and each person is heard one time before anybody gets to speak again I tell myself that that's one of the, the, the greater things of helping people to settle into the group, to connect, to herd, and experience. I'm going to be heard by everybody in this group, even if it's structured that way. But that's okay, because I still got heard. I'm fascinated by your reasoning for coming to this workshop that you've just attended. From your perspective of continuous education, You've been in this field for and doing this work longer than I've been alive. So the the, the consideration and, and I think it's a I think it's a rarity to find someone like yourself who's willing to continuously learn and grow. Why are you continuing to learn? Why are you continuing to grow? Quite honestly, I, I like going to conferences and I like going to workshops, but sometimes I can't find anything that fills any bucket at all. It's just it's not what I need. Really good stuff. It's either an area I don't need or it's at a level that I've had that experience, I need someone to push me as opposed to things I've already seen. That's part of it. I've had on my vision since 1990 to get a master's degree and I, and I literally just started a master's um, Mankato State in Minnesota uh, experiential education. I'm 67 <laughs> and I don't ever wanna retire. I love this field so much, and I'm just starting to figure some stuff out. You're way beyond me. So, I mean, I've been doing this longer than you, but, lie, but dude, you've caught up quite nicely. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to get ahead of you again. I'm loving it. I'm loving taking the master's degree because now when I have the experience and you go back and then you look at the academic stuff, everything makes sense. And you read the books and, you know, clinical psychology and it's you get it, which I'm it's bizarre. We know a lot of stuff in this field. We've seen all kinds of behaviors. So um, during COVID, I found myself, you know, just needing contact. I went to every workshop I possibly could. And so, I, you know, I need some electives for my master's and stuff. And so what I, can I do? And I wanted to come to Hive. I went to a workshop that you and Lisa did. And a gauge for me on a workshop is I, 
I was completely present and waiting for the next thing. And sometimes it's, I'm not present because I'm bored and I'm just, it's just not what I need. And so what you two did kept me going. So I, I, so one was coming to high five because you guys focus in the, you're the last holdout for educational use. I, I think I am too. I have a little commercial work, but, but I, I needed to go someplace that I really felt that, that I could learn something. Um, and so I came to this level two workshop and I've, I've taught 400 five-day workshops on my portfolio. And so it's like, I know lots of stuff, but I came and I had to really work to be in a student mindset and that I'm not the teacher and I wanted to follow the curriculum. And so, and I got to see somebody else's style and I got to look at that and say, okay, I like all those things and I do all these things. And that's something I don't do. And that might actually help me a little bit. So I think going to other people and learning stuff, you're, you're not going to fill volumes of stuff that, but you're going to find nuggets that are just, you know, that. So I'm, I'm in a point where I look for nuggets as opposed to volumes. Um, and I actually, I found some really good stuff. So I, I have a goal. I'm going to take some uh, social emotional learning workshops in the, later in the fall. I've identified through this course that I need more work on reflective stuff. So I'm waiting for a couple of workshops to to be offered so I can do some of that. So you can't stop. You can't be stagnant in this. The minute you become stagnant, and if you're not doing training, you're not getting smarter. You're just repeating what you're doing and your world's narrowing. So I think you need to, you need to get out and challenge yourself a little bit. I mean, it's kind of cliche, but it's the only, you got to grow. You got to keep going. This leads nicely into this next question because for the, for a lot of these interviews and a lot of the the podcast, one of my goals has been being able to give a resource to people who want to consider this as a career, not not a job, not a seasonal work as some of this is, but how do they actually make it into a career that they start in and end in and can retire in? You were referencing a lack of desire of wanting to retire, but also you've been you're one of the one of the rare and few people that I interact with who has made this a career, have actually started and ended and, and still continue in this career. So other than continuous education, what other advice would you give to someone who's wanting to make a career out of this field? Not a job, but a career. Go take workshops from, from different companies. You know, you find the one that you resonate with, that's great, take all everything they have, but then go uh, try to find a time to go take workshops from, from others and possibly even a different operating system than yours. So maybe go take a, you know, an adventure park or a zip tour uh, training and stuff and just kind of see what they do. And then I think experience, experience facilitating, experience training, just down in the trenches, up in the trees, day after day after day it'll take you years it takes years to build up the experience and it also takes i think takes shifting from this program to that program because every place you go you get a different perspective and you're going to find some new nuggets in a different place and you're going to train a little different way and stuff and then i i would say if you're part of a staff at a program pull out your in-house you know your operating manual and co-train with your peers or, or, you know, teach them what's already in the manual, teach them what you've been taught to operate, review stuff with people. And, and the more you teach others, you know, it's really true. The more you teach them, the more you learn and you start writing your training outlines. 92, I moved to Colorado from Vermont. I started working contract facilitator for another company and I was working with a business group and I had a 
envelope from a bill I'd gotten. And some of the guys said something in that group. It was a men's group. And I wrote down six or eight things that really were kind of cool. And I'm like, I think I'm going to write that down. So the next day I go back to the next group and I'd kept that envelope. And same company, different group. And I pulled that envelope out again. And I realized it's like, okay, there's some parallels going on here. And I mentioned this and they were, they, boom, that facilitation moment where you don't have to say anything. They just run with it. And you, as you said earlier today, you just shut up and let them go. Don't interrupt it. They'll quiet down and that's when you can jump and do your thing. But so I started every day I have a piece of paper and I write out like a, like a column of the things that I want to do, the sequence I want to do it in. And then on the left side of the page, I write everybody's names down. And then every time they, we do a sounding, we do three soundings a day and I'll, I'll put a mark by their name to kind of keep track. But then in the center of the page, I write down the time and I write down what I did. And I do that all day long. And there might be some other notes there and stuff. And then I'll take that home at night and I used to type it up, I don't anymore, I just look at it. And then I'll put it in a file with stuff and then I do it the next day and the next day. And what really helped me developing my skill was I started to learn how long things took. I started to learn what sequences really worked. I started because I was writing it down, I started starting seeing patterns and processes and things and how things related and stuff like that. And that was 90, so 30 years later, I've got, you know, the volumes of this stuff and I don't even have to look at the notes anymore, but every day I train or facilitate I take the piece of paper on my clipboard and I write all that stuff out. I do it every single day. I think it's an erect, reflective piece of sorts, but that's what really changed my consciousness around this, I think. So I think that's partly how to turn this into a career. Yeah. And you gotta, you know, eat peanut butter and jelly. And But there's there are good jobs out there, but they're good jobs for people who have agency, who, who act with intention. I want this. And they train for it and they work hard. Um, and they seek opportunities and sometimes they pay for workshops and sometimes they get a job you know it's like anything you think of you know doctors and lawyers and scientists they study for years to do their work and it's just not laid out for us we have to kind of create our own training plan reach out to myself i'll put tom's email if he's willing to have his email put into the description he's nodding and saying yes i'm, I'm going to put his this, uh, email in the description reach out to us because we're willing to give you some of these guideposts or some of these clues and some of these things but part of it we ask you to add in your energy too and that energy is by asking questions and and being willing to call call us and talk to us and we'll happily reciprocate but i encourage you to do that i think that it's such an important part to take a little bit of initiative if you want this job you got to work at it and, and be willing and be passionate and excited and, and you can reach out to us and we'll help you along the way and give you some advice. I think that's a nice place to end here, Tom. So uh, thank you for joining me and talking and, and I, I look forward to the continuous conversations we have in the future moving forward because I, I value the last week we've shared to each shared together and, and I value your experience and, and as I've mentioned to him personally, his grace in the, in the workshop recently. It was a real joy and a pleasure and thank you, Tom. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playcast. And then what about, thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast. Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for giving. I think I'll pass the guy. <laughs>